0: This is Canty and Golick Jr., the podcast.
1: Ben Simmons does not get his trade request granted by then. Center Joel Embiid says he'll be welcome back to the team, but Embiid made it very clear it'll be up to Simmons to show he wants to be part of the Sixers. Do not be surprised if Simmons stays put, says ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski.
0: I do think there's a willingness in Philly to not just give, in their minds, give Ben Simmons away, just do a deal to do a deal here at the deadline. Um, when they believe that there there are more, you know, very prominent players they possibly could get at for him in the off season, starting with Harden.
1: Well, John Greeny, Harden, as in Nets James Harden, who continues to be a topic of straight speculation ahead of the deadline. The L- NFL announced it'll retain an investigator, saying the league and not the Washington Commanders will conduct the investigation into sexual harassment allegations made by a former team employee against owner dan snyder snyder has denied the allegations the team announced earlier today it's hired an independent team to look into the claims
2: chris Canning alongside amber wilson on espn radio and espn plus you're now rolling with the winners it is hump day and it's also super bowl week we got plenty to get into cincinnati Bengals, los angeles Rams storylines a lot going on in the nba with thursday's trade deadline at 3 p.m amber The Nets had an epic collapse against the Boston Celtics last night, but there really is only one place to start, unfortunately, because I'm a Lakers fan. The Los Angeles Lakers at home getting embarrassed by the Milwaukee Bucks. And Amber, one of the things that is just hard to hear as a Lakers fan is what LeBron James said last night in the postgame press conference. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of optimism on the forefront for this team, and it feels like... We're barreling toward this team having a collapse, and I'm not sure there's anything that can be done about it.
3: He said that there's a lot of basketball left to be played so there's that that was like the one kind of positive thing he said Mm. during that presser last night I don't know what you can take from that though Chris because there's been other seasons of LeBron James's career where we have seen him have maybe chemistry issues in the beginning or there's a slow start or the team isn't exactly what we expected the team to be And because with LeBron James on your team it's always championship or bust right every roster is constructed in order to win an NBA title so that's where the expectation is always set that's what we're always making that comparison for and there has been previous seasons where we've had the conversation hey you know do they have enough to win an NBA title sure they're good do they have enough and Absolutely. when he has said in those other seasons, there's a lot of basketball left to be played. I think that there was a lot of people willing to accept that. Hey, let's slow down. The regular season doesn't necessarily mean that much to somebody of LeBron James's caliber. They'll figure it out when they get to the playoffs. And certainly we've seen him do just that quite a few times in his career. This feels different though to me, Chris. I mean, I know there's basketball left to be played. I know we've only seen this big three play together uh, essentially a handful of times in terms of how it works in the NBA, the 18th time, I think that we saw them out on the court together. And yet I don't feel like this is working and that it's a chemistry issue and that it's going to come together and that it's going to work at any point in the season. I think I understand if as a Lakers fan, you're, Right now you you're you know waiting for your for that team to figure it out. I I understand why that might be running short at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean they've lost 5 of their last 7 and Russell Wilson Russell well Russell Wilson Russell Westbrook is a non-factor in
0: Yeah, all Russell the time, Westbrook man.
2: is Well Westbrook is a non-factor and I guess that's the biggest issue that the Lakers are facing right now because this was a guy that LeBron James traded significant pieces for in order to get on their team, somebody that could be an alternative to him being the primary ball handler, somebody that could create offense for themselves and for others, and it just hasn't bared itself out in that way. And so I think that's the biggest issue right now. Everybody's joking on social media, Amber, that the big three in L.A. now is Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Malik Monk. That, that, that's how far Russell Westbrook has fallen out of favor with the Lakers faithful. So that, I think that's going to be a huge issue And that's going to be a conversation over the course of the next 24 hours leading up until the trade deadline. I don't think that there's anything that can be done about Russell Westbrook because that contract makes him virtually unmovable. He's got a player option in 2022-2023 for $47 million. You know he's going to exercise that. So who in the NBA wants to put their hands on that kind of contract based on the production they're seeing from him? I don't know, but it's clear that Westbrook isn't a fit out in LA but here's LeBron James when he talks about chemistry after last night's game. In professional sports or in sports in general, like camaraderie and cohesiveness and you just see the team we just played. You see them struggle early and why did they struggle early? Drew was out for a long period of time, then Middleton was out and they struggled early. Same thing with, with Phoenix, but early on those guys were in and out. Book was out. Like great teams no matter how good they are, when you don't have your pieces all the time and you can't build that camaraderie. You can't build that. And then when you get it, it, it starts to, it, it, it clicks. Yeah, let me tell you what's not going to happen with this Lakers team as constituted. You're not going to have the kind of turnaround that you've seen with the Milwaukee Bucks this season. And the Bucks had excuses because he was LeBron is right. There were key pieces that were out of the lineup. Now, I get it. LeBron, AD. They both missed some time. Russ has had a hard time being able to find his footing. But the reality is that the pieces don't fit together. Russell Westbrook has never really been an off-the-ball type of player because he's not a guy that's a prolific perimeter shooter. And so to ask him to play that role for most of his minutes is unrealistic. So, And you're also talking about him being a tertiary option as opposed to the primary option or even the secondary option like he was down in Houston. This is not going to work out with Russell Westbrook. The Lakers aren't going to be able to get what they hoped they would out of him. And if he can't turn it around from a production standpoint, if he can't eliminate or cut down on the turnovers that we're seeing, then you're going to continue to have some of the same problems that we saw rear their ugly head last night. I mean, the Lakers had 16 turnovers that resulted in 25 Bucks points. At one point in the third quarter, Amber, you're talking about the Bucks having a 30-point lead. Bobby Portis is knocking down corner threes and shimmying back down on defense. That's not where you want to be if you're the Lakers. That's not the world you want to live in, but that's where this team finds themselves. And the unfortunate part, based on the deals that they've made the last couple of years, the trade with Anthony Davis with the Pelicans, the trade with Russell Westbrook and the Wizards, that's left this team essentially devoid of assets and cap space, so they don't have a ton of maneuverability in order to improve this roster before the trade deadline tomorrow.
3: LeBron James is the best basketball player. That doesn't make you the best GM. And mm-hmm. I know the LeBron move, I think, here is, oh, this is all Palinka, right? Like, when it doesn't work out, and then if they were winning championships, he'd probably be out of here, oh, this is all me. But we know that, obviously, oh, yeah. he was consulted in constructing this roster. Just because you're the best player, though, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make the best decisions in terms of personnel. We already knew that there was going to be issues with this roster in terms of age, and there was always those jokes uh, when they made the move for Russell Westbrook. but. I think even when we talk about AD, there's something to be said there because I think LeBron he pairs up with Anthony Davis in order for LeBron to age gracefully. And I think his plan there is like AD becomes the number one at some point. And that hasn't even necessarily really worked out because AD is certainly not always available to do that. And LeBron happens to be still playing at an unbelievable clip. But how long can that last? But like you said, the Lakers are in a very difficult position because you have nothing to trade except for Westbrook, who, like you said, is opting in for $47 million next year. Like who is taking that on? And if you are taking that on as a team, what are you possibly willing to give in return? John Wall seems like the only person out there that maybe like maybe will trade a bad contract for a bad contract. He's played in 113 games in the last five seasons. So now we're pairing him. Now LeBron James is going to rely on what a John Wall along with an Anthony Davis who already has issues being out there and helping him age gracefully and now John Wall is going to be the answer. I see no easy answer for the Lakers here. I I really just don't have much confidence in their abilities moving forward and if I'm the Lakers, I don't know if I'm necessarily rushing to make a deal like that in the next 24 hours. We have exactly 24 hours right now for the trade deadline. I don't know if I'm rushing to make a deal unless I'm actually confident that deal is going to put me over the hump and win me a championship and I don't see that deal anywhere
2: no I don't see that deal either Amber and to your point about Anthony Davis supposed to take the mantle from LeBron James what LeBron was probably hoping for when the Lakers traded for AD is a big man that's capable of doing what we're seeing Giannis do right now because I think there's an argument to be made that Giannis is the best basketball player on the planet Just his performance last night, giving you 44 and 12, the way that he did it, just dominating the Lakers from start to finish. Giannis was hanging on the rim. It was one sequence where he had to turn around Jay when he was being manned up by LeBron James. And then at the end of the first half, Giannis is pulling up from three and knocking it down. This guy has focused on improving the weaknesses, the deficiencies in his game. He's developed enough of a perimeter game where you have to respect it as a threat but then that's opened up opportunities for him and everybody else on the court. I remember a couple of years ago when the Bucks and the Lakers were down in the bubble. And of course the playoff fortunes of those two teams went drastically different, but people were having the conversation about whether or not Anthony Davis was the best big man on the planet and people were siding with a D and in hindsight, a couple of years later, it seems utterly ridiculous that we had that opinion because Giannis is the best big man in the sport He's the best player in the sport, and that was on full display last night. And as a Lakers fan, it's hard to digest that. It's hard to process that because that's what we thought we were trading for when we got AD from New Orleans.
3: You ain't never told a lie, Chris Canty. I've always (laughs) said AD is overrated. I mean, there's a few guys. Nobody actually in reality does it alone. There's a few guys who make you feel like they can do it alone. Giannis being one of those, a LeBron type being one of those. AD, it doesn't feel like he's going to be able to do it alone. And at some point, somebody has to have that kind of star power in order to take that mantle from LeBron James. And although they already have a chip together, it doesn't feel like they're getting another one.
2: Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to somebody that's going to give us some insight as to whether or not the Lakers are going to be capable of making a move ahead of tomorrow's trade deadline in the NBA at 3 p.m. But first, we have a word from eBay. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows. Maybe it's a drop ball. Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When this happens, the only solution is to replace that part with something better. It's the same with your car. But unlike in sports, a new batch of car parts can't be drafted every year. That's why eBay Motors exists. They have all the right parts at the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. That's a lot. That way you can get the parts you need to make your car a winner. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride.
3: If someone's not playing well enough and and they don't get to finish the game or they don't get to close the game out, hopefully uh, the response is that that player plays better. I told him to keep going, told him to 2nd guessing himself during the game.
2: What he's done in his league, he should never second-guess himself.
0: They made a big step when they decided to not play Russell Westbrook.
2: All right, now it's time for us to go out to the hotline and bring on ESPN LA 710's George Sedano. and George of course the conversation now is what do the Lakers do ahead of tomorrow's deadline there's a lot of rumors around Russell Westbrook is there a deal to be had to trade the embattled superstar somewhere else for the Lakers
0: Chris I don't thank you for having me on by the way I don't like to work in absolutes so I would say there's a 99% chance Russell Westbrook is still a Laker after
4: <laughs> 99 I
2: like that number that's a good number
3: yeah you never want to work in absolutes that's how you do it and you never actually want to put anything absolute in writing so none of those hot takes on Twitter you save them all for air George that's what I've learned in this business over the years but obviously the rumor out there is the John Wall rumor does John Wall fix this team
0: I think John Wall helps certainly he's a much better defender than Russell Westbrook and that is a big problem for this team this team is a lower third team in both offense and defense. Now, granted injuries have probably played a bigger role in that on the offensive side to LeBron and AD specifically, but their defense was going to be bad. No matter what, like they basically only had a couple of guys, Anthony Davis being at the top of the list that were good defenders. I mean, Anthony Davis is a defensive player of the year candidate most years, but the rest of that group is not necessarily defending at a high level. So that to me is their biggest challenge. So John Wall helps them there. And he's also more of a traditional point guard (laughs) so that's not Russ either he doesn't help them from spacing the floor uh from that perspective but they don't really need that they got plenty of guys that can space the floor so he is a better fit although I don't necessarily think that catapults them into championship contention
2: George last night LeBron James said something that caught my attention he said that they're not on the same level as the Milwaukee Bucks, and they can't get there. Now, I don't want to take that as LeBron James conceding that this is not going to be a season that ends with their their title aspirations being fulfilled. But at the same time, it's disturbing to hear somebody that's in the conversation for the best player in the world say something about his team at this point in the season.
0: Oh, Chris, listen, I've covered LeBron James for a long time, as Amber will tell you, okay? <laughs> going back to Miami, uh, you know, some occasionally in Cleveland and now here in L.A. for the last several years, that's as frustrated as I've seen him in a post-game press conference. Mm. And that's as forward as I've seen him in a post-game press conference in a long time. So I think he sees the frustration. I think he knows and understands that the way this team is currently constituted, it would probably take uh, some enormous luck um, and some some cohesion that, They may not have time for like LeBron is too smart for this. Like he knows he's a savant man. When it comes to basketball, he sees what's in front of him. He sees what the possibilities are with this particular group. And he knows that this group deep down inside probably isn't going to cut it. And I I think that him coming out as strongly as he did just kind of reinforces that that's probably where his mind is.
3: 710 ESPN L.A.'s George Sedano joining Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. So, George, obviously the frustration very apparent there from LeBron. It's easy to focus on Westbrook because we're seeing him get bent now, now multiple times this season. But what about Anthony Davis? Should any criticism fall there? Uh, Chris and I were having a conversation before you came on about how I feel like LeBron brought or paired up with AD in order to kind of transition his career, eventually AD becoming the number one. And it just doesn't feel like AD is that dude
0: yeah well, the latter part of that is true. It felt like he was trying to pass the torch, and the problem with Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis is injury prone and previous to his stop in l a you know it was a lot of small time injuries, nothing like that was catastrophic. But now his most recent injury two years or well, last year now, was related to his achilles. This past one is related to a knee, and again. That starts to change the conversation. I'm a big proponent of the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. And we're getting to that point with Anthony Davis, even at 28, despite modern medicine, that you have to question his availability on a more regular basis based on just his history and just the type of player he is, the size. These big guys don't always last a long time, especially when they start breaking down and their bodies start to break down. So I think that that's certainly been a problem. And the other stuff that I think he needs to deal with is just, I don't want to call it motivation, but, you know, I, you know, LeBron referenced it the other day where he talked about he's come back from this injury with a real hunger. And I think that the Lakers, and that would include a lot of people in that organization, would, would hope that he would have that hunger more often, <laughs> right? So I think that that plays a role in it as well. So I, I think you're on to something. I think that the bigger issue, though, is the cast around them. Because if you've got LeBron and AD, you've got the centerpieces of what can be a championship-caliber team. But they have fumbled completely what the rest of this roster looked like. They traded a team that was, in essence, a championship-caliber team for a guy in Russell Westbrook who's nearing the end of his career and is on a bad contract. They traded Kuzma and KCP and Montrez Harrell. That team, before LeBron busted his ankle last year, was fighting for the one seed in the Western Conference. They didn't need to make that move. They made a move, a big move, to get a big star to create this big three, and it's completely backfired on them. I don't think there's any way or any other way to describe this. Talking with
2: George Sodano from ESPN LA on ESPN Radio. And, George, I feel like we have to ask you this question because you're in the know around the NBA with the trade deadline tomorrow and with the optics of the Brooklyn Nets getting boat raced by the Boston Celtics last night. I get it, no James Harden, no Kyrie, no KD. But at one point in that game, it was 28-2. to So I, I've got to ask you this, George. Do the optics of last night's game, mixed with the, the frustration that James Harden has expressed, lead to the Nets having any more urgency to try to put together a deal before the, day, before the deadline tomorrow?
0: I mean, look, I'm not going to tell you that I know that's the case. Um, you know, They're not having conversations right now. They've had previous conversations, as has been reported by Woj and Ramona Shelburne. But if it were me, Chris, I would absolutely be on the phone if I Mm. were Sean Marks, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets. I don't even understand what you're waiting for here. It seems, again, from the outside looking in, fairly obvious to me that James Harden is, despite what he's saying publicly, just his actions show me, he is not content with the situation there, whether that be Kyrie being in and out of the lineup or just the bad luck of KD getting hurt. The, the fit doesn't work, right? Whether it's just him not being able to have his own game again, right? Like he's used to playing a certain way at this stage of his career. And so that's part of the equation. The other part is this, Ben Simmons is absolutely the right fit for them. He's a better fit than James Harden with those two monsters on the wing, Because what that team lacks is a traditional point guard, which Ben Simmons is, who's an excellent passer, who Ben Simmons is, and who can defend at an unbelievable level, an elite-level defensive guy, which he is. He's one of the top two or three defenders in the sport. I don't understand why Sean Marks has not made that move. It it just behooves me to to think that that they have to at least engage before the deadline tomorrow, but it, it just seems like they're at a standstill right now.
2: Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one, George, although my co-host Amber Wilson might be on the other side of that. But, George, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes. Thanks for jumping on.
0: You got it, guys. Anytime. Take care. Have a good show.
2: All right. That's ESPN LA's George Sedano and Amber. It sounds like he's agreeing with me when it comes to whether or not the Brooklyn Nets need to try to make a move with James Harden and send him down the turnpike.
3: Everyone's allowed to be wrong occasionally,
2: Chris. (laughs) I hear what you're talking about, but I just think from a fit standpoint, James Harden's better off in Philly, and Ben Simmons would probably be better off in Brooklyn. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to find out in the second half of this season after the trade deadline because I don't think a deal will be getting done. But we'll have plenty of time to speculate on that. But coming up next... How should the Steelers approach the quarterback position this offseason? We'll have the answers for you. It's Amber Wilson, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio.
0: Canty, Golic Jr., the podcast. This is ESPN Radio.
1: Christine Lisi, breaking NHL news. The Canadiens have fired coach Dominic Ducharme. Montreal's dead last in the NHL at 8.30 and 7. Ahead of tomorrow's NBA trade deadline, ESPN's Dave McMenamin's reporting the struggling Lakers believe their roster's not working. Something must be done to get the team back on track. Quite a bit of heat has been directed at coach Frank Vogel and Russell Westbrook, but somebody else deserves blame too, believes First Take host Stephen A. Smith. We
0: cannot let LeBron James off the hook on what is transpiring in L.A., LeBron looks like an MVP when he's balling in terms of his numbers. But in terms of that roster, that's LeBron James roster. He can't get he doesn't get a pass on what we're seeing because he's the one that helped formulate that roster.
1: The Lakers have lost 10 of 15 are three games under 500 ninth in the West. The NFL announced it'll hire an investigator saying the league and not the Washington commanders will conduct the investigation into sexual harassment allegations against owner Dan Snyder made by a former team employee. Washington announced earlier today it's hired an independent investigative team to look into the allegations. Snyder's denied the allegations.
2: Chris Candy and Amber Wilson on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Twitter at Chris candy 99 and at AmberW790. And Amber, Super Bowl week is upon us. Man, we're almost, we're right there in the middle of it right now. We've got four nights until the Super Bowl kicks off. So it's, it's literally right around the corner. And, of course, we got to talk about the Rams and the Bengals. But one of the things about Cincy's squad that I feel is a little underrated as we get to this part of the week and talking about that team, is their defense. A lot of people are sleeping on the Cincinnati Bengals defense led by Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and company, and that's a defense that's only allowed one team in the last eight games to score north of 30 points, and that one team happened to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And, oh, by the way, in that game in Week 17 – The Kansas City Chiefs got the faucet cut off by that defense because they only allowed three points in the second half of that matchup as the Bengals mounted a comeback down 11 points. So are the Bengals defensive players getting enough respect going into this Super Bowl matchup with the Rams?
3: I mean, that Bengals D might not be as flashy as Joe Cool, right? But they have everything to do with why this Bengals team is in the Super Bowl. We talk a lot about that Rams defense because the bigger stars, particularly on that D line. But- Also, the Bengals have given up fewer than 20 points Per game allowed so far this postseason, the you know they are able to make those in-game adjustments. You mentioned obviously the three points in that second half against the Chiefs that they allowed. The they shut down the Raiders, they shut down the Titans, and I was listening to our Bengals beat reporter uh, Ben Baby, and he was pointing out that during that Minnesota game, very early in the season, that was back in September, there was a moment in that game where they went for it. On fourth and one, and it showed you Zach Taylor's confidence there in in just what the Bengals D was able to get done, and not just in that offense where the game plan didn't just need to be reliant on that offense and on what we spent so much time talking about rightfully so with Joe Burrow, but listen, you can't sleep on that Bengals D either. So I do think that we are overlooking how good that defense could be. And of course, you know, we're going up against a quarterback in this game within Matthew Stafford that can be prone to turnovers. And that's going to be an important component here.
2: No doubt about it. When you start talking about the Bengals situational football, on the defensive side is going to be a key. And one of the things that they did well in the critical moments is being able to hold teams to field goals and create takeaways in the red zone and being able to be a good de- defense on third down. And I think Le- Lou Anarumo, their defensive coordinator, comes up with pretty good schemes in terms of being able to neutralize the top threats from the opposing offense. Some of the things that he did to try to slow down Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in that AFC Championship game, I'm looking for him to duplicate that when it comes to the top threats for the L.A. Rams offense in Cooper Cup. And Odell Beckham Jr. Now we all know Cooper Cup is going to get his. The guy is an absolute monster. There's a reason why he was only 17 yards off of where Calvin Johnson was for the single season receiving yards record. And he was only, (laughs) what, four catches away from what Michael Thomas had with the receptions record in a single season? So Cooper Cup is a highly productive player. He's going to get his, but I think. The most important thing is limiting the damage, not allowing Cooper Cup to get into the end zone, and not allowing Odell Beckham to have the kind of production that we saw in the NFC Championship game where he had nine catches for over a buck. So I think that has to be the focus. It's a bend-but-don't-break kind of style, Amber, but I think in a matchup like this, that's what you're looking for, and you're having the hopes that your offense can complement what you do as a defense, and while you're holding the opposing team to three, your offense is scoring seven.
3: There's always going to be guys out there that are going to get theirs, right? But we thought that Patrick Mahomes was going to be one of those guys in that matchup. And I mean, in fairness to that Bengals D, like they dropped at least eight defenders into coverage, 45% of Mahomes dropbacks in that second half. And that was highly effective in shutting Mahomes down. Like Patrick Mahomes in that second half of that game looked like a different Patrick Mahomes than we're used to seeing. He actually at times looked almost a little confused and discombobulated out there. And that is credit to the change that they were able to make, and that wasn't the first time that we've seen them make those kinds of changes in game, in their in you know it, it, during the game, uh, in the second half of a game, in order to be victorious. And that's the kind of flexibility that you need from your defense and from your DC. So I definitely think that the Bengals defensively, that is a key here because we spend a lot of time talking about Matthew Stafford and it's week in or week week out, depending how consistent he's. Been he's going to be there are challenges there in terms of how turnover prone that he can be and if the Bengals are able to do what they did to him like they were against Patrick Mahomes now it's going to be a slightly different game plan obviously they're different quarterbacks and and certainly we know that with Matthew Stafford he's got a short memory and he does bounce back from some of those turnovers quickly but if you're able to get him off his game plan and if you're able to rattle him at all like they were able to do the in the Chiefs to the Chiefs in the second half then that's going to go a long way in the Bengals being successful in this game
2: no doubt about it but I mean the the thing of it is with Matt Stafford the concern is that because he could have the potential to be putting some adverse circumstances be putting in in longer downs and distances because that Bengals defense shuts down the run game I, I think that's where you have to worry and that's the the place where that team has thrived when it comes to traditional first and second down run game that's not led by quarterbacks The Bengals have done a pretty good job in the postseason. Like, the scheme that they had against the Tennessee Titans, dropping down into that buddy front, not allowing any air for Derrick Henry or Deontay Foreman to get going, I thought that was absolutely critical in terms of putting Ryan Tannehill in situations where he had to throw the Titans back into the game And we saw the result of that. You had three turnovers that all ended up being critical to the Bengals having an opportunity to kick themselves into the AFC championship game. So I'm imagining for them defensively, it's going to have to be a similar formula. They're going to thrive on turnover luck. And I think a, a big part of that is them creating their own luck by creating negative plays on early downs and distances where Sean McVay tries to run the football with Cam Akers. If they can do that, then I think you open yourself up to having a better chance of having Matt Stafford throwing those interceptions. And look, Matt Stafford, even though he seems like he's put the turnovers behind him in the postseason, I I, I would contend, Amber, that if Kwaski Tart catches that cookie that Matt Stafford threw up early in the fourth quarter in the NFC Championship game, we could be talking about a different team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. So I'm not going to assign Matt Stafford a level of success in terms of protecting the football that he might not necessarily deserve. I still don't think... That he's a quarterback that's you know, not, prone, not turnover prone. I just think that the, the defenses that he's faced haven't taken advantage of it up until this point. So I still think that that door could potentially be cracked for, for, uh, for Matt Stafford to turn the football over. So a lot of that remains to be seen. I, I still don't quite trust Matt Stafford, even though it seems like a lot of people have, uh, have jumped onto that bandwagon.
3: I I will say though with Matt Stafford I mentioned the short memory there and he is I don't have the stat but I know he's one of the best in bouncing back after a turnover and maybe that's from all those years in Detroit where he got real used to some turnovers and some mistakes they're not always his fault but he is a player who is able to kind of work through that so if there is a turnover you don't expect that momentum to be completely lost moving forward but Chris so much of this game is going to come down to can you shut down Stafford Cup and OBJ and then on the other side you know can you shut down joe burrow and jamar chase and joe mixon right i mean both of these defenses have a, a lot of work cut out for them in this game
2: no doubt but speaking of defenses amber the owner of the washington commanders back on the defense we'll have the details on the other side this is amber wilson chris canty espn radio
0: canty Golic jr the podcast This is ESPN Radio.
2: Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Candy, the candy call-in line. 888-ESPN, 3776 Yeah, my own personal whole call-in line. It's almost like there Mike you Jones. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, Mike Jones, the rapper, decided to throw in his personal line when he did his song. I feel like since we're doing my radio show, that we were throwing throwing the call-in line right there so people can get at us. But, Amber, speaking of folks that are getting at people around the National Football League, we have yet another accusation toward owner Dan Snyder. This time, not somebody accusing the Washington commanders of workplace misconduct, but somebody accusing Dan Snyder of actual sexual harassment. And this would be one Tiffany Johnston. And she outlines the role that she was responsible for to the House Committee of Oversight and Reform and how she was strategically placed next to Snyder at a work dinner and the purpose of that was not to discuss business but to allow him, Dan Snyder, to place his hand on her thigh underneath the table. Now, there's been a lot of shady goings on with that franchise, but this is the first time that we're talking about Dan Snyder being implicated and as such, there's going to be an investigation that was launched. Now, earlier this week, there was a little confusion about who would be conducting the investigation. Initially, it was believed that the Washington commanders were the ones that initiated the investigation, but now we're starting to hear more information from the NFL and them saying that they're going to be the ones that were responsible for overseeing this investigation. Here's Commissioner Roger Goodell today on the ongoing situation with Dan Snyder.
4: But The roundtable uh, did bring forward another uh... Uh, witness that uh, spoke about her experience with Washington. I think we treat that very seriously, uh, and we need to look into that. We'll um, obviously do an investigation. We've said that uh, from day one, that we will look into this and, and do an investigation. Um, we need to understand what really truly happened in those circumstances, and treat that uh, in the best uh, and most serious way Uh, we can to make sure we preserve the type of culture we want uh, in the NFL. Uh, I do not see any way that a a team can do its own investigation of itself. Uh, That's something that uh, we would do. We would do it with an outside expert that would be able to help us um, come to the conclusion of what the facts were and what really truly happened so that we can make the right decision from there. So we'll, we'll treat that seriously and move forward.
2: Amber, it, it doesn't seem like this is a situation where the NFL is seemingly wanting to get to the bottom of these circumstances. We saw what happened with the investigation into the Washington football team and the the subsequent fallout from not uh, releasing the findings, not having full transparency when it came to the work that Beth Wilkinson and her staff did, the attorney that was responsible for overseeing the investigation. I struggle to give the NFL or the Washington commanders the benefit of the doubt when it comes to things of these nature. Of these nature, because it just feels like it's more about protecting themselves against any type of liability as opposed to actually shifting the culture and the attitudes of the individuals that are in these environments.
3: I smiled there when Goodell said the problem, the obvious problem that I think we can all recognize with the team investigating itself. And the reason that I smirked was. There, of course, is an implication, though, that a league investigating itself is fine because we see that over and over again (laughs) with the NFL. And I think one could argue, Chris, that the same problems with a team investigating itself probably are attributable to a league investigating itself as well. The whole problem with this situation has always been that the league might have culpability in this as well, because a lot of these center around workplace allegations. So we don't end up getting the release of the investigation when we're used to investigations in the past being public like the Ray Rice investigation, for example. Well, that's mm-hmm. stemming from an incident, a heinous incident that we all remember the video. We all remember what happened in that elevator. And that investigation, though, wasn't a workplace sort of thing. So, of course, the league's liability in that investigation would probably be limited, where I would uh, I would guess, anyways, uh, that the problem here with the NFL releasing its findings of the original investigation into the commanders is that there might be some liability attached there for the NFL. NFL so theoretically speaking Chris then if you're uh, running a multi-billion dollar organization and I'm not saying this is morally right by any means or the right thing to do but from a legal perspective are you going to hand people evidence to sue your butt off which is uh, theoretically speaking what could occur here now we have these other investigations launched pertaining to this very specific new allegation as it pertains to Dan Snyder where the commanders come out and say they're launching an independent investigation then the NFL comes out and says well we're going to also launch an independent investigation but both of these investigations feel a little bit like hey let's go ahead and look at this investigation so you don't go back and try to look at that other one that we keep burying and keep hiding that everyone tries to get their hands on and the way that this one is so narrow uh, as it pertains just to these new allegations from Tiffany Johnston it feels to me like they're not as concerned about what those investigations might turn up in terms of liability for the league and even with Daniel Snyder since he's also agreeing to do this inde- independent investigation whereas that whole other investigation thing i think they keep hoping that it goes away
2: yeah and that's the part of this that seems a little bit hypocritical for me amber because the nfl and the washington commanders seem adamant that they're going to release the findings of this investigation which is a bit surprising and feels like a lot of a pivot from what we saw with the initial investigation into the franchise with workplace misconduct but at the end of it i just don't understand why If we know that you're not getting the benefit of the doubt in the court of public opinion, you're not doing more in order to present the right look for the league. Coming up next, what Roger Goodell had to say in his annual State of the Union address, State of the League address. We'll have that ESPN Radio.